Thanks, guys. <clears throat> I love that song when I first heard it uh, a little while ago. For those of you asking what song that is, it's the Hillsong uh, United album, Wonder, and it's uh, one of the key tracks on there. I love a song that just takes us from uh, Genesis from the beginning right through to the ultimate expression of God's love for us, and that is the cross of Jesus. What a great, uh, what a great song and a great reminder to us that behind all of our worship there is one consistency, and that consistency is that God himself is here. Um, the message today is entitled um, Cheers and Tears, and it's driven from a story in the Old Testament book of Ezra, chapter 3. If you have a Bible, turn to Ezra, chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read all of that. If you need a copy of the Scriptures today, our ushers are here. All you need to do is just raise your hands in the air, and our ushers would be delighted to give you a copy of the Scriptures, and you can follow along with us by turning to page 467. Now, in our, in our service today, there were moments where... And people were joyful, there was that expression, uh, the applause as we just saw people just uh, choose just a few words out of many uh, to express the, the difference that Jesus has made in their life. And then Steve had the unenviable task then of kind of transitioning us into a moment where we go from the kind of mountaintops where for some of us, they probably, your kids were on here. I spoke to a couple of people after the first service where it was their children that were standing here, some of them prodigals they've been praying for, for for quite a while. You go from that straight into, and oh, by the way, we've also got people in our faith family who've lost a loved one. Let's pray for them. So in our worship service, we have the cheers and the tears. And sometimes when you, you kind of plan the services, and when you do that, it's like, okay, how are we going to move from this to this? Well, in the story we're going to look at today, they don't move from this to this. They happen both at the same time. You've got a group of people that are cheering, and you've got a group of people that are crying their eyes out. In fact, both of these coexist at the same time and to the same decibel level that it is heard miles away. If any of you think our worship is too loud, you should have been there on that day, Ezra chapter 3. And what I want to do is I just want to go through this, uh, this story, and I believe it's a pivotal moment in Old Testament history, and I actually believe it's a pivotal moment for us today too, because invariably there are people in here who have just come from a complete completely different angle, completely different experience to get in here, and they coexist. Worship, in a sense, is made up of cheers, it's made up of tears, but more than anything else, worship is when God speaks and we hear. That's what worship is. And we come in here from different backgrounds, different places, and the consistency is God is here and he wants to speak to us. God is comfortable with the expression of emotion. That's natural. But what is supernatural is when we hear God in spite of our emotion and obey so have a look with me at this story in Ezra chapter 3. Now the context for this is that the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, have been in exile in Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, God raised up the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. 
Jeremiah, there are at least four, possibly five letters that the prophet wrote to the people in exile telling them, look, you're here because of your disobedience. This is God's discipline. Embrace this discipline as God's children. But remember the day will come when you will return. And on that day, remember God's faithfulness. And so they return through the edict of King Cyrus, and they basically return. And this is the story about what they do when they return. So Ezra chapter 3 from verse 1. By the way, in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah, this is the same period, they're one book. Okay, the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra, okay, the rebuilding of the, of the city walls, Nehemiah, they're one book, and uh, this is from that same period in history where there is a rebuilding work that is going on. So Ezra chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josedach, that is not the Joshua of Moses, okay, it's a little while later, different Joshua. Then Joshua and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now, those names are enough to make anybody never want to go in ministry. Verse 3, despite the fe their fear of the peoples around them, remember that, despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening services. So they had church twice, okay? Then in accordance with what was written, they celebrated the festival of the tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord. In other words, they did more than 75 minutes. As well as those brought as a freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began the, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. So this is the background. They're working towards the rebuilding of the temple. Now verse 7. Then they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. So all of these worship services that they're having are resulting in, in them pooling their talents, their treasures, okay, to actually purchase things to get this temple rebuilt. Now, look at verse 8. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, second month of the second year, so this has been going on for two years, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem began their work. So what we're going to look at is the service that took place to launch their work. If you think back a year ago, it's the service commitment Sunday for the Stronger Challenge a year ago. This is the service that we're talking about, okay? They sacrificed a lot, and this is the service that is happening. They appointed Levites, 20 years and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. 
Joshua and his sons and brothers and Kidmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers. All Levites joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to the praise of God, uh, to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. So you've got a musical celebration here. That's important, by the way, for what's going on in the church today. Because if you look back in history through the, the Middle Ages, through the Reformers, John Calvin said, hey, if we have any kind of instruments in a worship service, we're going to be like the Jews. So you didn't have any. But what you see going on in the church today is actually very similar to what you see going on here instrumentation. I wish I had time to go into that, but I really don't. Back to the text. Now, I want you to look at, at what happens next, okay? And I put it on the screen for you as well. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Look at this. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. What a display of emotion. They got to the point where they laid the foundation for the temple. They have this worship service. They kind of divvy up the instruments. That's a, a transformation from what would have been done before the exile. I'll get into the reasons why in just a moment. And then in a moment in a service, whether it was carefully orchestrated or not, whether it was scripted or spontaneous, everybody gives a shout of praise. And that shout of praise results in a break, in a kind of an emotional break in the congregation. Those people that remembered the joy of the former temple started weeping and wailing. And they weren't quiet about it. They let it go. And then the people who didn't remember that, but remembered the words of Jeremiah, they actually quote in verse 11 about the Lord's goodness. That is a direct quote from the prophet Jeremiah who wrote that letter to them. They remembered what Jeremiah said. They waited for this day. In that moment, there, there was an emotional break and there was this spontaneous outpouring of joy, both at the same time. And it seems God was okay with it. Now, I'm pretty stoic, so any kind of display of emotions, really not me. Many of you in here may well be like that. You may well actually be the type of person that any display of emotion at all is a difficult thing. But on that day, there was this emotional outpouring of cheers and tears at the same time. And the reality is in worship, that's often the way that many of us come in here. Some of us are coming in here with exceeding joy because good things are happening in our lives. And that was the same for this younger section of that community that day. They were cheering. And what I want to do is, is help you understand what it is that people, even us, have to shout about. 
basically, we can shout because there are new opportunities that God has given to us, and that should make us joyful. Those people there on that day were cheering because God had given them a new opportunity, an opportunity that they did not deserve. And this was an overwhelming sense in the community. We know that through the verses. In verse 1, okay, we, we read about them being there together. That is literally, they stood there as one man. In other words, the emphasis isn't on the number of people who are there, but the fact that the number of people who are there, despite their differences, are actually standing there as one people. They are united. We see this again in verse 9. They joined together. This means to take one's stand as one. So this section, this introduction, has them beginning unity and end in unity. Now, the significance of this is the people of God are united even though they were afraid of what was going on around them. See, the myth in the exile is that the people of God returned to an empty land. The land wasn't empty. A number of people have been taken off, but the poor people, those who had nothing, stayed behind. The Samaritans stayed behind. There were peoples that were there, and the people of God came back Fewer in number, there were people all around them, and they were afraid. They were afraid to stand up to God's, uh, to, for, uh, afraid to stand up amongst all of these people. But they did. There was a new opportunity. And while they were all together in one voice, the courage rose in them, and they basically took the opportunity, and they were celebrating. Let me just say this. I believe that we are in a day today when we need to take courage as the people of God and recognize in this country the new opportunity that God is giving us to stand as one people in a nation that should be one nation under God. What is dark to people on the outside, what is troubling to people on the outside, should actually be a signal to us that God is giving us a new opportunity. A number of people emailed me through, uh, through the week and said, Craig, why is it that when you prayed, you didn't pray for our nation? I wrote back, honestly, I didn't know what was going on. I returned from uh, California late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, got up Sunday morning, didn't turn on the news, never do that, came into church blissfully unaware of what was happening in Virginia. And then I saw people commenting all through the week, all through the day, and I'm like, what actually happened? And then I went and saw what happened. And then through this week, like many of you, I've been watching the commentaries. The blue media, the red media. And meanwhile, most of us in the middle are looking at this and we're thinking, what do we make of this? Well, here's what we make of this. We make of this as the people of God, that God has given us a new opportunity to stand up for what is right and for what is true. He is reminding us that the end of all things will not be with white people standing around the throne. The end of all things will be different people from different nations speaking different languages, praising God around the throne. And I don't know about you, but I am working really hard to make sure that we get a glimpse of heaven on earth. That's what I want. I don't know what you want. And there's nothing in the Bible about supremacy of any race of any kind, especially of white And see, this is, a, this is a great opportunity for us. It's a great opportunity for us to speak that out. 
But in speaking that out, it's likely that we're going to come up against people who don't think that way. And it can put the fear of God into us. And what we see that is so inspiring in this text is that these people stood together as one group, declaring the goodness and the greatness of God despite the fear of the people around them. In fact, they were so committed to this that we actually read in verse seven that they gave not only themselves to this message, they actually invested what they had into this vision. Church, it's time for us to do exactly the same thing. It's time for us to declare in this nation, in this day and age, what God's message is at the, end of all t- at the end of all time, and to invest ourselves fully in getting this message out. At the end of time, we will all be blessed to be worshiping with people who don't look like us, who may not think like us, but love Jesus just like us. And that is good. That is a blessing. And how poor it is In this life, if all we ever do is surround ourselves with people who look and think like us. I've heard many pastors calling for the church to be colorblind. I want to tell you that is not God's vision. God wants us to be colorblended, not colorblind. We are supposed to see the difference because in every difference, there is a testimony to the greatness of God. Seize the moment. And celebrate that moment. So there's a new opportunity. But what I also liked about the worship on this day, it was a chance for a new beginning. It was a chance for a new beginning. In the worship that day, there were people who were looking on the rubbles of Jerusalem, looking on the rubbles of the temple. They just laid the foundation for it. And they recognized in that moment that it was their sin that it actually led to that moment. It had destroyed so much. And on that day, they realized, you know what? God is giving us a chance to start again. And this is what worship does. I don't know how how messed up your life is coming in here. I don't know how far you've sunk. I don't know how far you've run. I don't know the state of your marriage. I don't know the issues that you're dealing with. But I do know this. Today is the day for a new beginning. Today is a day where we worship God and we can celebrate because God has taken our sin. He has placed it on Jesus Christ and therefore we can find forgiveness. And you know, on that day, God wanted his people to know that. In fact, in this period... While all of this is going on, God actually provides his people with prophets. One of those prophets that God provides his people with is the prophet Zechariah. Now, many of us study Zechariah today because we want to know about future things. Zechariah has a lot of visions about what will happen. But God used Zechariah to speak a word of encouragement about a new beginning in spite of their sin. And he does this in Zechariah chapter 3. This is a vision, okay? This is a vision that God has. And it's for one of the guys, one of the leaders there. And the leader's name is Joshua. And this is what God says to Joshua through Zechariah. And it's a vision. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. It is not this... Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? I wonder how many of you feel like that. You feel like you're here today because you've been snatched by the fire. You're here and you've been burned. You've been hurt. You're scarred. The weight of your sin is heavy. And you just listen to this voice over and over again saying, there's no way that you can worship God like you are. There is this voice of the accuser. And that's how it was on that day. And God wanted his people to know that he had a vision for them and that he'd taken care of his son. And so it goes on. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. That's a vision, remember, it's a vision. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Anybody who has ever experienced the forgiveness of God realizes that that's a reason to celebrate. The dirty dirty clothes, the dirt, has been removed, and the Bible says we've been robed in the robe of righteousness. We stand here complete, not because of what we've done, but because of that drink offering that we heard about last week that was poured out for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why we celebrate. That's why we clap. That's why some of us dance in here. That's why we celebrate, we shout, and we cheer. Why? Because God has forgiven us our sin. The accusations that we hear have been put to one side, and God says, you stand here cleansed and forgiven. And if that's not a reason to celebrate, I don't know what is. What was true back then is actually true today. That's why they celebrated. Now, why the tears? If you were here in week number one of the series, you will have remembered what happened the day that the the temple was dedicated with Solomon. The Anan, that bright cloud, came down, enveloped that entire place so that the priests, they couldn't perform their service. They were just overcome with the presence of God. In that place, you'll remember, there was the Ark of the Covenant. There was the law, the stone tablets on the inside. As they stood there that day, all of this was gone. And there were people who remembered it. Not necessarily the dedication through Solomon, too far back, but they remember that. They remember hearing the stories about how God was on this place. They knew that the Ark of the Covenant was there. The tablets were there. And now it's all gone. And so some of them were there that day and they they cried because there was a loss of identification. It had all changed. And they felt it. And they sensed it. They sensed the weight of their own sin. And even though they'd been encouraged to realize that God had forgiven them, that weight was too big. To get an idea of this, how many of you have ever gone back to a church that you grew up in that was really important, special to you, even a family home maybe, right? And you go back there and it is no more. Or you go back there and the church that used to be thousands is, is now empty. I grew up in Wales with the Welsh Revival There were so many churches that grew out of the Welsh Revival, and now a lot of these places have been converted. They're either cinemas or they're converted homes. 
I heard many people growing up saying how hard it was for them to go past some of these old churches and realize they are no more. If you've ever had that kind of experience, then you get a little bit of a taste, a little bit of a feel for what it was like back then. You know that feeling. So there was loss of identification, but there was also the fact that some things were just going to be different. Different. There's a different feel. For example, in the text, it tells us that they appointed Levites aged 20 and up. It's one of those things that you read over and you think, what's the big deal about that? That was a big deal. It tells us something about the context. You see, in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 3, Moses set the bar, obviously under the direction of God, for Levites to be appointed to ministry. They would oversee the, the work inside the temple, okay, who were 30 years old and up. So they had to be 30 to do this. Then later on, as the needs grew, as the ministry developed, as there were more need, the age in Numbers 8.24 dropped from 30 to be 25. They lowered the age limit, which some people said lowered the standard. You get the debate, right? It's the same thing. And then you get to David in 1 Chronicles, and it dropped again. It drops now to 20. And it drops to 20 because there is so much need. God's hand has been on David. The kind of kingdom has expanded. The temple is being built. Everything is great. And they just haven't got enough people. So they drop the age to 20, and there are, by this time, 38,000 Levites ministering in that temple. You get the feel? You're dropping the age because, man, you need more people. And these younger people are just getting convicted, this call into ministry. And they're being uh, trained and commissioned into ministry. The age is dropping because the needs are increasing. Well, that's not the case here. Ezra 2.41 tells us there are only 74. 74. The number of Levites is actually less than the number of priests. They're crying because as they look around, they're recognizing we haven't got enough people. And we haven't got enough people because of our sin. And it made them cry. These were really tough times. And so in this, in, this, in this service, what you have are cheers going. You have tears going at the same time. And you have God looking at this. What does God say about all of this? What does God say about emotion in worship? Well, in this season, God raises up three prophets. You have, Ez, you have Ezra. Um, sorry, you have Haggai. You have Zechariah. And then probably in this season, you have Malachi as well. Malachi is either written between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Ezra, or it's for the book of Nehemiah. The issues are still the same. So God sees the emotion there. He sees that the behavior of his people is being driven more by emotion than anything else. And so God speaks. And so this next section of the message I'm calling cheers, tears, and hears. Basically, the idea that God is giving to his people is, look, emotion is natural. But obedience is supernatural. Listen to me. God is saying, listen, I'm comfortable with there being this outpouring of emotion in a worship service. But what I'm not comfortable with is that your emotion drives your action. So he raises up the prophets. 
Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And God essentially says to them, look, biblical worship prioritizes obedience over emotionalism of any kind. Emotion is wrong. But emotion without obedience, whether it's cheers or tears, is wrong. So to the older folks, the ones who were there that day and and just look back and think, man, this is nothing like what it used to be. Haggai chapter 2. God says through the prophet Haggai to these people, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? And you know what the answer will be, don't you? Terrible. Does it not seem to you like nothing? So God engages with them in that emotional state. And he says, listen, I understand. But I I need you to hear something. And so he goes on. But now be strong, Zerubbabel. Again, the leaders. God speaks to the leaders. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all of you people, for the land. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord Almighty. There's a saying in Celebrate Recovery on Monday evenings that says, look, recovery only works if you work it. Recovery only works if you work it. In the same way, worship is only worship when you work it. Not when you feel it. God says, work. Look, I understand the way you feel. And you're right. Weren't those awesome days? But listen, don't you know something? This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit, what? Remains among you. I'm still here. I haven't changed. So to those people that are really wrestling with what's going on in their life, God says to them, wait a minute. Worship is only worship if you work it. It's not worship if you feel it or even if you express it. Expressing it is natural. Listening to me and doing what's right even when you don't feel it, that's supernatural because you need my help to do that and I am here to help you do it. Now, he doesn't leave it there either. He goes on and says these words. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. March the 25th, 2001, this was the verse that was used to dedicate this room. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. It's a text that has significance in the history of this church, and it had significance in the history of God's people as well, because the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house. And you know why? Not because Herod came along and built it and built it magnificently, but because Jesus Christ himself walked into that temple. That's why it's glorious. And he made it possible for people to have peace with God, not through a building, but actually through his own body. You remember what he said to the disciples who said, Jesus, look how glorious this temple is. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24, don't look at this building because I'm telling you this building is coming down. And he said this because he knew that the access to God would not be through what happens in a building. The access to God would actually be possible through what happened to him in his body on the cross. And as a result of him dying and pouring out his blood to forgive us of all sin, we actually can become, get this, Temples of the Holy Spirit himself. The glory, God says, of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. 
Why? Because I'm going to make it possible for people to have peace with me. You may well be in here, and you may well be looking at your life thinking, you know what, where I'm at right now is nothing in comparison to where I was. I've made such a mess of my life, and God wants you to know. God wants you to hear this. Your future is greater than your past. It is much greater than your past, and God is saying, look, lots has changed, but one thing hasn't. I am still with you. He also has a message, therefore, the people that are cheering, because the reality is, after they laid the foundation, they had this amazing worship service with incredible music, they all went home and forgot about what they'd said, forgot about what had happened. And I think God is trying to remind our younger generation as we're in this transformation in worship music that true worship is not about putting on a great show in here. True worship is about listening to God and actually doing what God says. You see the difference between the older generation and the younger generation is younger folks, we haven't done a thing yet. They have. And God is saying to us in the church, listen, there's nothing wrong with emotion. There's nothing wrong, sorry, John Calvin, with actually using instruments in church. Calvin said, if you do that, you end up like the Jews. Well, it's in the Bible, that's fine with me. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with having such a great time in here that we actually do nothing out there. There is something wrong with prioritizing this thing about what we want and what we feel over what God wants and what God feels. That's wrong. That's not worship. And God tells them that. Haggai chapter one. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They've laid the foundation, okay? But now it comes to building the thing. Oh, no, we ain't going to do that. Well, we we aren't going to do that. That takes too much work, too much money, too much time. No, thank you. So God goes on. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? See, they're prioritizing something, but it isn't God's thing. They're comfortable coming into a church and having an awesome worship service with all of the hype. But when they leave, they forget what they've done. They forget what they've committed to. God raises up the prophet Malachi in this period, and he, and he lists a, a whole host of things that they're doing wrong, and, and he's basically saying, what do you think worship is? Do you think worship is just a feeling? No, it's a lifestyle. God goes on. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you've never enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, and yet you aren't warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And have you had a season in life like that? See what God is saying. You're pursuing things, and they aren't satisfying you because there's only one thing that will satisfy you and lead to blessing, and that is listening to what I'm saying and prioritizing what is important to me. God says, that's worship. So give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. First, this is it for us. Worship isn't worship when we cheer. Nothing wrong when we do. 
I hope everybody realizes the new opportunity and the new beginning God gives us every time we worship here. But it isn't worship when we cheer. It isn't worship when we set a tear either. Nothing wrong with that. Let it flow. Worship is worship when our cheers and our tears are transformed by what we hear. If you're downcast, God is saying, I am for you. I haven't changed. If you're celebrating today, God is saying, listen, I'm glad that you're excited, but make sure you take this blessing in this season and actually pour yourself into the things that matter to me. That's what's important. And you know, that's why I'm excited about what we're doing this afternoon. By the way, you saw all of those 60 folks go out of here because they were in for the first service, and unlike some of our staff, they don't have to listen to me twice. But this afternoon, they're going to be there, and uh, they're going to be there on the state park. And by the way, if you join us today, you'll have a little book like, like this, and there are what, over 60 stories in here that you'll be, able to, you'll be able to read. But I'm really excited about us taking baptism out of here. And I'm excited because it just emphasizes again, real worship doesn't happen in here. Real worship happens out there. When we come in here, God gives us permission to express what's on our hearts. Expressing what's on our hearts is natural. Practicing obedience in spite of what we feel, that's where we need God's help. And that's where God's here to give it to us. And so this afternoon, I'm convinced as we go public with our worship and with our proclamation, for those people going through the waters of baptism, this is going to be a start of something else. God's word always says, blessing follows obedience. All of those reasons today, the one that pumped me was the one that says, I'm obeying. It kind of told me, I don't really want to do this. I don't know the story. It probably told me, hey, I wonder whether you've been sprinkled or dipped as a child. And then you read the word of God and you realize, you know what? My public profession follows my confession of faith in Christ, not precedes it. I'm going to get baptized in the right order. When someone does that and they go public with it, it's powerful. And so today we're going to see a public demonstration by a, by a group of people and by all of us who are going to be there that actually is going to be a really good reminder that worship is truly worship. Not when we cheer, not when we shed a tear, but when we obey what we hear. And God has said, go into all of the world and make disciples of people of all nations. All nations. How? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I hope you're going to be there with us. But my encouragement today is go and do likewise. Join us for worship in here. Express what's in your heart. But let's be the type of church that realizes true worship is not what we do in here. It's whether we do out there what we've heard from God in here. Let's be that type of church. Go with me to God in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in this room there are different people with different stages of life, and it's a beautiful thing. Different backgrounds, different experiences. And Father, what you call your church to, to recognize in this season is that not that we're supposed to be blind to the difference, but that we're supposed to embrace that difference as a vehicle for growth, as a vehicle, Father, for us appreciating the greatness and the goodness of all, who you, all that you are.
And Father, I pray too that as we gather in here, we would realize that there's nothing wrong with, with people expressing their faith in you. There's nothing wrong with people just shedding a tear. There's nothing wrong with everything in between. But that isn't worship. Worship is worship when we hear you speak and when we obey. And so Father, I want to pray for those people in this room that have difficulty hearing you speak. I pray that they would recognize that you speak to them from your word. And I pray, Father, that as they pick up the word to read it, that you would read them and speak. And I pray, Father, that they would obey. And I pray for all of us, Father, as we just, even this afternoon, leave these four walls and go public with our faith. We pray your blessing on those that are being baptized. And we pray that, Father, there would even be people watching as we go public that would be transformed as a result of what they see and what they hear May you be glorified out there, Father, in the way that we seek to glorify you in here. God, we love you, and we thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name. God's people said? Amen. Thank you all for being with us today. Again, 6.30 this afternoon, there is the uh, baptism in Holland State Park. You may need a little bit of time to get in there. We are doing the shuttles, and uh, that is... Uh, from 4.30, 6.30 at the Ottawa City Fairgrounds by the dog park there. If you want to join us and get shuttled in, you can. If you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I need to put my baptism in the right order. There's still a chance for you to do it. You can go outside and uh, just where the baptism display is there, there'll be people waiting to talk to you. Other than that, look forward to seeing you this afternoon. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us. Just go worship God with your lives this week and may God be glorified as you do that. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. See you all next week.